So many of us have app fatigue. So many clients, so many apps, and so many different payments, charges, receipts, subscriptions, discounts, bundles. It's almost impossible to keep track of. What if you could have just one subscription for 50 different integrated business apps? You can. It's called Zoho One. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Zoho, later in the episode. Rule of thumb, if it's suitable for everyday use, it is not a write-off. There was one rare court case where the taxpayer came out on top. In the 1994 case, Hess versus Commissioner, the petitioner was an exotic dancer who got very large breast implants for professional branding purposes. But, you know, not practical for daily use, I guess. Is the, I mean, you gotta love this stuff, right? Gotta this love is, it. This is the best article. I know, right? Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And we are joined today by Heidi Henderson, Executive Vice President at Engineered Tax Services and host of the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise Podcast. Heidi, welcome. Hi, Blake. Hi, David. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here with you guys. It's great to see you. We got to see you in person not too long ago. I think it was at, was it QuickBooks Connect, David? Yes, in Vegas? QuickBooks Connect, because Heidi is in Vegas, so she That's just right. happened to be in town. I happen, well, to be, happen to be in town while you guys happen to be in town during, by if you remember, during the NFR. So we were ready to go to the rodeo, and I was so disappointed Blake wasn't in his cowboy hat. <laughs> <laughs> and that that was funny, right? It was a total coincidence because you weren't there for QuickBooks Connect. You were there for the rodeo. Yeah. Uh, and you, like, this is so cool. You have horses on a mm-hmm. ranch. Uh, what what kind of horses do you raise? Oh, geez. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of an addiction. Uh, my, my husband is a hunter, so he's got, we have a number of quarter horses, but then I show dressage horses. So we've got some warm bloods that are kind of European bred, uh, big, big fancy horses. He calls them the fancy folks. And then we've got our mountain, mountain regular folks. <laughs> You've got the whole continuum, you know, yeah. the, the, the working horses and the, the fancy horses. That's Do great. you ride the fancy horses or are they just oh, like yeah. pure show? Oh no, they, I, yeah, no, I, I ride and show them like, yeah, constantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that, so you were there for the rodeo and, mm-hmm. and wearing your, you know, uh, attire, appropriate attire for that. We were there for QuickBooks Connect and we got to meet up and that was really fun. And, um, and we got to chat and I'm looking forward to chatting with you today about taxes because mm-hmm. your firm is called Engineered Tax Services and, when I first heard the name of your firm, I thought that's so interesting. Engineering and taxes together. Can you give us the explanation for that? Like what what do these two things have to do with each other? Yeah, yeah. We have this little tagline and I, I've had a joke around that is silly, but it, it really is comparable. It's that we marry the science of engineering with the principles of tax and accounting. And People will call our firm and say, hey, I need a new accountant and I need someone with a lot of strategy. And the first thing I say is we are not an accounting firm. We don't want to do your tax work. <laughs> and then they say, or, or you know, if someone introduces us, they'll say, well, no, I already have a CPA, so I don't need your help. And I says, well, that's really good. We want you to have a CPA because we want to work with you and your CPA. 
and really look at the strategy behind what you're doing and help capture some of these really complex tax credits and deductions that might be available for business owners or real estate investors. And uh, just looking at some of those complex areas and capturing all of that stuff that's out there that a lot of times gets missed. And are a lot of these tax credits are like the the green building and they're engineering tied, right? A lot of these tax yeah. credits. Yeah, exactly. And that's where the engineering principle comes into play. To your point, a lot of it is related to real estate. So cost segregation is really then breaking down all the components of a real estate asset, but also looking at the green energy. So what is energy efficient? How efficient is it? And then there are some federal incentives against income tax to offset the costs for either building a new building that is energy efficient, building energy efficient residential housing units or retrofitting an existing building that then makes it more efficient. So it's got lower costs uh, to actually operate. It uses less less public resources to power that and drive energy. So the IRS then has an incentive to help fund a portion of those things. So yeah, those are a few examples of what we so, specialize so it's a, in. So it's a different skill set than a normal tax preparer. Like y- yeah. you're going to claim the number on the return as the preparer, but how do you get to that number? Is exactly. Got it. Exactly. Yeah. Because a lot of those are requiring a physical site visit or some engineering background or energy modeling. I mean, I don't, I've never seen a, a CPA yet who can go out and do energy modeling on a building to determine <laughs> the energy efficiency. And that's why before we jumped into this work, you know, we've been in business for 23 years. But before that, there was this broad expanse between what developers or even what what engineers, I guess, who are looking at energy efficiency, what they could help a client with versus what a CPA could help with. On the engineering side, they were like, what, this is a tax credit? I don't know how to read the tax code. CPAs would look at it and say, what, this requires energy modeling? I don't know anything about that. And so for years, we saw a lot of these incentives just get left by the wayside. CPAs don't talk about it. They don't bring it up with their clients. On the design side, if you have an architect or engineer who's working on these design projects, they're not going to talk about it because they're not reading you know, 300 pages of tax code to understand it. And so there was this big gap. And that's really where we were able to kind of start with identifying that there were some expanses here with a lot of opportunity for clients to reduce their tax and capture these write-offs. But someone needed to come in and sort of bridge that, uh, that expanse between the two industries. And you have a background in commercial real estate. So you've combined these two things, commercial real estate, they've got all the tax credits going on, combine that with your background in accounting. I mean, yeah. did you just, did you fall into this or was this planned? <laughs> it's, a, it's a great question. You know what? It, I have found in my career, especially with managing and hiring employees, it's so bizarre, some of the weird specialties that people get into. And that's what happened with me as I went into accounting, I have a master's in tax, and uh, I, I was pulled in and mentored by someone who owned a commercial real estate group when I was in college, actually. And they really helped cultivate that. And of course, I'm seeing these people running a very successful real estate company. These guys are coming in in Porsches every morning. And I'm like, geez, what are they doing? <laughs> and so I really grew up in the space of, of blending accounting with real estate and understanding how these correlate. What then happened is my sister began working with engineered tax services. And she, you know, about a year later says, Heidi, you've got to come work with me. And in fact, I, I actually just did a podcast with her on my podcast that'll come out, I think, next week. Um, and 
we were talking about it because she says, you got to come work with me. And I was like, Kim, that's a horrible idea. <laughs> Family and business is not always good. And uh, so I was worried about it, but she goes, but this is literally the whole culmination of your career with tax and understanding real estate and how we can blend these opportunities is where this all comes to play. And so it just fell into my lap from that sense uh, and, and does absolutely tie into what I'd spent my career really learning and becoming really knowledgeable on. And so it's been fun to be more in the consulting space and really working with business owners and CPA firms to strategize and to find opportunities. So we're going to talk today about tax myths, and we've got some big news from the IRS about how they want to spend the $80 billion. We also have this ongoing shit show, if you will, with these <laughs> ERC mills. And given that you are in the tax credit space and have been there for, your firm has been there for decades, right? Like, how, what is what is up with this whole ERC mill thing? Like, tell, t give, a, give, us, give it to us straight. Blake, oh my gosh, you're jumping right in. <laughs> oh yeah, come on, let's let's lay down on it. Yeah, okay. I have to start with a story. We've been in business for 23 years. Okay, we have audit defense on everything we do. We're going to defend that. We're in the long game. We do lots of things, and we plan on being in business for a long time. I was at a conference probably a year and a half ago when ERC was really hot. And there was a guy there who was selling ERC with some group that had just been founded. If you pull it up and look at their corporate structure, it was like four months old or something. And he was hard sell pitching ERC. And I asked him, I said, so, so that's all you do? You, you, you made a company to do this? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're making millions. And I said, how's that going to go for you when this goes away? It's kind of a short-lived incentive. And he said, oh, I'm just going to get everything I can, and then I'm going to... I'm." I'm done. I'm retiring. I'm going to go lay on the beach in the Dominican Republic and I'm out of here. And Hiding from wow. the FBI and IRS. Yes, yeah. right. yes right. And so <laughs> I love I the honesty. Him. I love the honesty there. <laughs> I know. And I was like, um, okay. And I says, well, where is the, where's the technical background? And he goes, well, I mean, we've never been audited. And we tell our clients, we've never been audited and we haven't had anything thrown out. And I was like, this has been around for three months. <laughs> and but that was the pitch that he was going and telling their Which clients. arguably is true, right? Yes, yeah. they haven't been audited, <laughs> even though it's going to take years oh, before the IRS figures all this out. Exactly. But, yeah. Right, right. And and going back to your point, Blake, about now the IRS expanding and hiring all these people, it's like, well, they're not really auditing very many of anything's right now. And, and so that was so alarming to me. And it has been crazy. We have clients, we have CPAs. I had a CPA send me an email that came from a client and he says, hey, look at this. What do you think? And it was one of those mailers with like the, you know, the three perforated edges that you open up and it's looked like it's printed in the old dot matrix type printer, looked exactly like something you would get from the IRS. And it literally said, we are a government agency telling you, you qualify for up to you know, $586,000 in federal credits. And you just need to call this number. And, you know, and he was like, my client got this and it says that he for sure qualifies. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, uh, <laughs> I just got a new, I a new voicemail yesterday from Sarah telling me how I can receive up to 26,000 for each employee. And <laughs> yeah. she has her phone number. Like, I get those too. Just call on the show. I just think it's funny that we get listener <laughs> voicemail and then it's basically half listener voicemail and half ERC scams. 
Yeah. Mm. Right. Or Mills or whatever. It's just, it's yeah. nuts. I wonder, you know, so, so you brought up the $80 billion. Let's get into talking about that. How is the, how is the IRS going to spend the $80 billion? Um, hopefully on maybe shutting down some of these ERC mills. Although I wonder mm-hmm. if they'll be able to do it before they all like get their money and then, you know, go retire in the Dominican Republic. Right. Yeah. Beyond, beyond <laughs> extradition treaties, I imagine. <laughs> exactly. Well, I was, I was reading some of this in the last couple of days. And one thing that I did find interesting, there's, there's two points I wanted to mention on this. Mm-hmm. One is they were saying that they're actually not necessarily looking at 78,000 or is it 87,000 new employees, something like 30,000 right now, but that they've lost almost that many employees since 2020 and haven't been able to really recoup the employees. So their employment numbers are down dramatically. So I think first off, that's a one point is they really just need to kind of replenish their teams. Wait, but, you mean it's not going to be 87,000 armed IRS agents? Heidi? Like, <laughs> They're not going to come chase us down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they should go after that guy in the Dominican Republic who's, you know, stolen all that money from the government via right. fraudulent ERC claims, right? That hopefully right. that's that's what they're doing, but Right, right, because he's going to be on the beach and then his clients that he claimed these fraudulently for are going to have disallowances plus penalties and interest and he's got his share out there, nobody's going to find him. Yeah. Uh, and the and problem we, is, do we ahead, know David. that these people, the the all these the, this decrease in employees since 2019, is this the retirement cliff that's happening at the IRS, or is this just like people are like I'm out, like everybody else is having that problem? I think I, well, with the IRS, I think it was a lot of retirements. That's what I I heard. Like they had an aging workforce. They hadn't been hiring for a decade or more because they were and under freezes. If I go back to during COVID, like they had a lot of high highly people in that highly. Uh, risk category for COVID. That's where they had a problem bringing people back in the office. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. They're probably close to retirement. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Zoho. Zoho offers an entire suite of solutions to run your firm, including a CRM, expense tracking, bookkeeping, a full office suite, a support ticket system, and workflow automation. Zoho also offers a suite of solutions for your clients. This includes bookkeeping, inventory, invoicing, subscription management, and a checkout app. And as your clients grow, they can integrate with over 50 plus apps that can run every aspect of their business, all from one login and one subscription called Zoho One. Zoho also has a partner program for accountants, bookkeepers, and consultants. As a Zoho advisor, you can list your firm on Zoho's partner directory, leading to discovery by Zoho's over 85 million customers. Zoho advisors also get a dedicated partner account manager, early access to product releases, in-depth product training, certifications, and more. If you want to learn more about becoming a Zoho advisor, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Zoho. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash Z-O-H-O. So here's the breakdown. The IRS was mandated to say how they're going to spend the $80 billion that they have been given by Congress over the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. And the plan is, at a high level, enforcement is $45.64 billion. So over half of that is going to be enforcement. Operations support gets $25 billion. Business systems modernization only gets $4.75 billion which kind of worries me because okay. we're a, we're a show that you know sits at the intersection of accounting and technology and that's a tiny little sliver of that money I, I i mean maybe they can do it for that but it just seems like from a priority standpoint i don't know 
And then taxpayer services only gets $3.18 billion. So I think that's where people are saying, uh-oh, they really are going to just hire a bunch of agents to go and audit people. And I guess the question is, who do they audit, right? Is it is it going mm-hmm. to be, as promised, the folks making over $400,000 a year? Or is it going to be everybody? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree. I keep seeing that number, people over $400,000, which I think is certainly where there's more meat on the bone. And certainly they're going to look at, at the potential to gain additional tax revenue. So they're going to want to go after those people that have higher incomes. And I, th- I really do think they will absolutely target people that are using certain strategies to, uh, to deploy more write-offs. So whatever that may be to find ways to mitigate tax through strategies or investments or depreciation or whatever it may be, uh, I think they're really going to dive deep into a lot of those strategies. Yep. Uh, go ahead, David. I say I saw an op uh, op-ed in the Wall Street Journal about the problem with this four hundred thousand dollars threshold. Is a lot of people are going to game it, right? So they're going to figure <laughs> out like, how do I show up at you know three hundred ninety nine thousand dollars so I can reduce my chance of being audited? And you're that's probably the the sweet spot. Now they're not saying. Like maybe when they do audit people under four hundred thousand, it's only going to be the three hundred ninety thousand people because that's probably highly likely that gray area where people are well, if they're well, if they're unscrupulous, they're trying to get underneath. I can't remember who made this promise. Was it Janet Yellen who said it? I I don't remember. Somebody high up in the administration said you're not going to get audited if you make less. You're not going to have a higher chance of getting audited if you make less yeah, than Yeah, so what she said okay. is of any new resources they get, they're not going to put them on the 400,000 and under threshold right. people. So whatever's there now will remain. Right. But then the question is, does that mean the people who reported already under 400,000 but probably should have reported more, right? <laughs> that's where that's where the question is. So Yeah, that's a good point because you've got you've got your gross and you've got your net. <laughs> right. Which and number is she referring to? Is it adjusted, right. you know? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think we've learned some uh, you know certain politicians that you know remain unnamed. I think might have had a lot of gross but net was in the negatives. <laughs> Jessica in the live stream says the problem with the new IRS funding is that most new hires will be incapable of high-level complicated audits. So they'll start by getting experience on simple returns, right? And mm-hmm. I think that is a good uh, concern, right? Legitimate concern. You can't just take a new hire and toss them into an audit of some sort of inter-nested 200 LLC uh, yeah. you know, complicated situation. They just can't handle it, right? Mm-hmm. So. So and where that's why are they they, gonna... so many people that take the uh, child tax credit, the or the early child child tax credit get audited. Earned income, it's easy. Yeah, tax mm-hmm. credit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. those are easy to audit, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so instead of four hundred thousand being the threshold, it should be like forty eight thousand. <laughs> like like yeah. anybody, like stop auditing people under forty eight thousand. It's a waste of everybody's time and resources and energy. Like stop. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and and to to Jessica's point, I mean, we've seen that firsthand. You know, we, we specialize in R&D credits as well. And R&D credits are some where maybe we'll deal with an audit. But the R&D credit's highly technical. So our project managers are all tax attorneys. This actually goes back to, like, you know, my background is weird because this is blend of real estate and, and uh, accounting. Some of my project managers, I have a project manager that has a degree in software, software engineering and then went back for a law degree. So they're a tax accountant. But started off with software. And you're like, how did that happen? 
but they're this incredible R&D person because they can communicate with our software developers at the same level and speak their language, but they understand the tax. So it's a weird blend, but how rare is that? So then when we deal with an auditor who comes in to review an R&D credit, we, we've actually asked in an audit, we asked a new auditor who was looking at a project, we said, have you ever done an audit on an R&D study before? And the response was, no, no, this is my first, but I'm sure I'll figure it out. And so just from that, that standpoint, you have to realize that a lot of these auditors are not highly educated individuals. These are not CPAs. These are not people that have the technical knowledge that we have from a lot of our CPA firms and a lot of these groups that are doing technical analysis. Yeah. So, and that's why it's important to have the backup and to have yeah. the report, right? Because if you drop that nice thick report on that auditor's desk, what are they going to do? Are they going to go after you or are they going to go after the person who has no documentation, right? Yep. Don't be the low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's exactly right. But going back to your graph, that graph, Blake, right? And most of the money is being spent on enforcement. And I think that's a bad way to present that, right? Because that could actually mean they're going to pay people higher wages. That means there's going to be higher quality individuals. But that gets all lost with the word enforcement. Right. It just People just think you're hiring a bunch of auditors, that right? Should just, if that mm-hmm. just said HR, right, or human, human capital or something like that, it, yeah. would, it would garner a much different reaction. But presenting it as the biggest slice of the pie as enforcement scares people. Very political. <laughs> And shame right. on accounting. Is that accounting today who made that graph? I don't, I, I mean, it's their, their article. I, I, yeah, I assume they made the shame graph. Shame on that presenting it that way. Cause then, you know, every, all the, all the other news medias will just run with that narrative. Yeah. yeah. Well, and to your point, David, I, I appreciate what you're saying, because if you read further down, it says 5,000 of the hires are going to be specifically for customer service. And that's a big part. When I read the initial code that came out for this, this massive lump sum of money going to the IRS, one thing that I thought was fascinating, you guys understand technology. Uh, I, I was blown away by this, but there is a tremendous amount of money. I think it was something like, don't quote me, but I don't know, five to $10 billion to implement a callback system. And my first thought was, are there not great independent software companies out there that have callback systems that don't cost five to $10 billion to implement? I mean, you because, could just go out and buy one of them at right? that price point, right? Just go yeah. buy a, buy a the whole company, the whole company, buy the whole company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. And that, that's what I, I find so intriguing because, you know, I'm sure many of the accountants on this line know that, you know, the IRS has a, a three back, a, a three hour uh, courtesy disconnect. So if you've been on hold for three hours, they feel bad for you. So out of courtesy, they'll just automatically disconnect. So thoughtful of them. Yeah, 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 exactly. And you're like, what what era do we live in? So to your point, David, I think they could certainly communicate what they're doing differently because if they really spin this, that look, we're trying to implement a callback system. We're adding tons of people to help on the customer service side to really make the IRS more user-friendly and more responsive to help taxpayers and to help the accounting industry get the responses we need, get the answers we need to some of these technical questions or issues that we run into, because that's one of the biggest problems. How many errors are related to the fact that it's almost impossible to get a hold of an agent? With all the banking crisis stuff going on, you're hearing a lot of podcasts, lots of stories about FDIC. Have you heard about these stories? Like, Apparently, it's the greatest government agency ever. 
They're polite. They come in. They know what they're doing. They're confident. It's very organized, and it's you know, it, it kind of like it, it's like the Chick Fil A drive-through of a, <laughs> of a government agency, right? It's like well, how how do, how do, how do they get that culture from that organization into the IRS? Maybe more. It's a good question. Mm-hmm. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LiveFlow. Anita Coymore, one of the founders of LiveFlow, was telling me about a small business owner who was complaining that his accountant didn't do any cash flow projections with him, causing his business to take an unwanted loan just to keep the doors open. I wanted to learn more and understand from this business owner about what his accountant did or didn't do for him, so I attempted to set up a Zoom call with him. This was his reply, and I quote, I would be happy to review this further, but at a later time. Due to our cash flow problems, the problems are already here, and I have to solve this crisis before I can plan, unfortunately. End quote. It makes me wonder how many other small businesses are currently struggling with cash flow crisis and their accountants aren't helping them. If you're not helping your clients with cash flow, stop what you're doing and go sign up for LiveFlow right now. Grab one of the LiveFlow cash flow forecast templates and connect your client's QuickBooks Online data. You and the client will be able to see real-time money movements, have important cash flow conversations, and make impactful business decisions quicker rather than later. To learn more about using LiveFlow and how you can save 20% off your first three months, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash LiveFlow. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. Well, let's think on that. Maybe we'll come back with a plan next episode. <laughs> In the meantime, let's have some fun and talk about these. Talk about the terrible tax advice on TikTok. Always love <laughs> highlighting that. Uh, KeeperTax.com, not the same as the Keeper practice management software. KeeperTax.com did a great roundup of the worst of the worst tax advice or misadvice on TikTok. Now, did you make sure none of our friends are on this list before you got <laughs> to the show? Well, it's funny. They they, they uh, highlight two of our friends, creators Duke Loves Taxes and the Not Spicy Accountant, uh, both mm-hmm. who we you know we know, Laurel and Wilson is the Not Spicy Accountant, and Duke, I forget his last name. Alexander. Yeah, Duke Loves Taxes. We got to meet him at QuickBooks Connect. They are uh, doing a great job of dispelling the misinformation, but I, I saw somewhere that one in seven financial posts on TikTok videos is like wrong. So there's a lot of it out there. And there's seven. only there's only a handful of people that are talking about it. So let's let's go through these. Okay. Um Khalid, who is in the live stream, said, Can I section 179 my G Wagon? L O L. Well let's let's find out, shall we? So myth number one, these are the top five myths on TikTok. If you write off 500 in business expenses, you'll save $500 on your taxes. <laughs> I think this is this I also affectionately call the uh, Schitt's Creek uh, theory of taxation. Right? Mm-hmm. Have you seen that meme, David? Where uh, it's the the da- you know I forget their names actually. It's um, dad and son are talking, and son says, you know, it's a write off, and dad says, do you even know what a write off is? Right? It's that it's a write off. Who pays for the write off? <laughs> So yes, if you decrease your tax bill, as we all know, it's not a one-to-one reduction in your taxes, unless it's one of those awesome tax credits, right? Like that, Heidi? Mm-hmm. There are a few exactly. of them. Exactly. That's there exactly right. What's your favorite one-to-one tax credit? Oh, oh, probably 45L credits. 
45 L. Uh, and they What's just in, they just increased some energy efficient um, housing units. So they just increased it up to $5,000 per unit. So like someone builds a, an apartment complex with 100 units, they can get a $500,000 tax credit uh, towards the cost of that project. So that that's the one I'm I'm talking with a lot of people about these days. Ooh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Myth number two: People who rely on their appearance for work can write off appearance-related expenses. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. did not get that memo. <laughs> so yeah, you can't do but it. That and one's there's... being stretched because I think like there's some gray areas, like newscasters and things like that. But now people are applying to like, well, I'm a real estate agent. I'm ne-. like, people are really trying to stretch that one. You see that one yeah. a lot. And I have seen these myself. Like people are saying you can write off, you know, your gym you know, membership and all that stuff. Or if you put your initials on your shirts or inside your coat jacket, then you can count it. Like there's all this crazy stuff. Oh, uniforms. Rule of thumb, if it's suitable for everyday use, it is not a write-off. There was one rare court case where the taxpayer came out on top. In the 1994 case, Hess versus Commissioner, the petitioner was an exotic dancer who got very large breast implants for professional (laughs) branding purposes. (laughs) But, you know, not practical for daily use, I guess. Is the, <laughs> I mean, they got to love this stuff, right? Got to love is, it. This is the best article. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, uh, here's another one. Drake versus commissioner. The court ruled that a man enlisted in the military could not write off his mandatory biweekly haircuts as they doubled <laughs> as a personal expense. Heinz uh, versus commissioner. The court ruled that a news anchor could not write off his makeup, haircuts, or wardrobe, even though they were required for him to maintain a neat appearance at work. Pevsner versus commissioner. The court ruled that a manager uh, at a how do you say that? Uh, I'm not I'm not fancy enough to know how to say the Eve Saint Laurent. Yeah, yeah. Boutique could not write off the YSL clothes she was required to purchase and wear at work. And Hamper versus Commissioner, that one's recent, 2011. The court ruled that another news anchor could not write off expenses like manicures, hair care, makeup, and conservative on-air clothing, even though all those were required for work. So, David, you're wrong. I was wrong. Let's see. This you, is, you, you, were, you were repeating misinformation. I will pull down my TikTok videos that I put up with this. No. Uh, myth three, lifestyle influencers can write off lifestyle expenses like clothing hauls or home decor. That's a big one for Instagram, right? Because people are always like buying stuff and then unboxing it at home for their videos. If you use it personally, yeah, you can't deduct it. So just to clarify on this, if I buy an Ember mug, it's like a hundred bucks, and I only use it when recording the podcast and I don't drink out of it any other time, it might be okay. I, I I don't think so, David. And actually, I have an Ember mug right here. Thanks to thank thank you to Avalara for providing me with this Ember mug here. They're quite handy. Oh. Yeah, you can't do that. Um, let's see. Do they have any good cases in here? I don't see any. Okay, myth number four: You need an LLC to claim write-offs. That's a good one, right? Put everything mm. in an LLC, and it's mm-hmm. a write-off. Just buy your house in an LLC. Now it's a business expense, right? <laughs> And then, of course, all the tax pros are saying, like, you don't even need an LLC, <laughs> right? And also, in many states, it's so expensive to just have an LLC if you're a freelancer. I think that was the worst thing when I started out in California. The $800 a year just for the privilege of having an LLC didn't make it even worth it for me. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, myth number five, fifth and final myth, think you might want a Hummer to use for work. Go for it. You can deduct its first cost. The first year it's in use, that's a myth. 
Creators who encourage this deduction are referring to Section 179, a portion of the tax code that lets you deduct the purchase price of a business vehicle if it meets certain requirements. These requirements are it weighs between 6,000 and 14,000 pounds, and you must use it 50% or more for work. There is a bit of truth in this myth. You can deduct vehicles that meet these requirements under Section 179. However, several creators failed to mention one major restriction on using this tax code provision for savings. You can only deduct the business use percentage of any purchases. That means if you use your G-Wagon for work 55% of the time, you can deduct 55% of its purchase price. So even what about if you skin the car and you skin everything? That doesn't matter. I mean... <laughs> I don't know, David. I'm not a tax yeah. professional. I'm just reading a blog post. Because I'll see this a lot of times down in Rocky Point. You know, you go down to Rocky Point, people are down there, they got their kick-ass trucks and they got their side-by-sides and they're all skinned for their roofing company or whatever it is. And I'm like, is this an advertising game or are they playing a tax game? I'm always like confused by by one of the there two. We go. Yeah, How much Google is it. a G-Wagon? <laughs> uh, so like the, I'm seeing... It's uh, MSRP is one hundred and fifty six thousand dollars, right? So it's not not exactly the best strategy. I mean, yeah, you can reduce your taxes, but you're going to be spending a lot of money to do it, right? <laughs> I think that's well, especially idea. if you're only you only get to write off fifty five percent of that. Exactly. Multiplied by your effective tax rate. Yeah. When all well, said and done, and that's combining miss one and five, right? That it's a one hundred percent, you know, one to one. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, now now the now the uh, peanut gallery is chiming in. Ian Crook <laughs> says, "What about company swag? T-shirts with logo on it?" Mm-hmm. I mean, the problem is you can wear that T-shirt out when you go to the gym or when you go like in your regular life, right? So, I think the lesson here is that everything's deductible until the IRS says it isn't when you're in tax court, right? That's the that's the problem. Cam says, "What kind of expenses are we talking?" What kind of expenses are we taking with clients who made money on OF? I don't know what that means. OnlyFans? Oh, OnlyFans. Oh, yeah. I didn't know what that meant either. <laughs> Sorry. We just I just did an interview actually with an accountant who specializes in OnlyFans creators. Oh. Uh, uh, so, so don't give out the answer to this question and somebody will have to listen to the Earmark Accounting Podcast when that one goes live. That's right. So subscribe to the Earmark Accounting Podcast and you'll hear my OnlyFans accountant uh, interview with the, with the, um, who was it? I interviewed David. You set this whole thing up. Oh, Lauren. Sorry. I'm blanking out on her name. I think it's you'll remember. We'll get it back. I'll get it. Ian Ian says, I always tell clients if they want to pay zero tax, I'll just increase my fees until they're not profitable. (laughs) That's great. That's a good one, Ian. (laughs) I can, I have a, I have a solution we can implement today that will help you pay zero dollars in taxes. Allow Mm -hmm. me to send my invoice. And now you have a zero tax liability. I love that one. So Heidi, you're on the other side of the fence, right? So if I'm a if I'm an accounting firm and somebody comes to me and I look and I'm like, oh, you shouldn't have got this tax credit. This is mm-hmm. crazy. And do you think it's like the accountant's responsibility to like push back on the client? Or does the accountant just file? Or like, you know, somebody buys this, what is the the Mercedes that Blake brought up? Like where do you think the accounting professional's role is in this? Man, that's a good question. Um, You know what? I think there's two sides of it. So we run into situations all the time because we have clients who come to us and say, look, I have this huge tax liability. What can I do? What are my options? And we'll start to look at, you know, okay, you have real estate. Let's look and see if we should do some cost or We should find some write-offs with these things. 
sometimes those clients, when they see the numbers, their next comment is, why didn't my CPA tell me about this? Why did they not mention that I should have done this two years ago and it would have saved me $300,000? Because that's typically what we're seeing in some of these products. It's huge. So we we do, I mean, we all we have another group called the Growth Partnership. It's part of our umbrella of companies. The Growth Partnership is specifically a firm that coaches CPA firms on how to grow, how to coach their people, and really understanding soft skills and consulting and advisory services so that they're not just looking at compliance. Because I think today, if you look at every survey out there, you look at what Accounting Today is doing, you look at what clients want, clients want advice. They want to know what should they be doing? What can they do to help reduce their tax? How can they improve their write-offs? How can they improve their cash flow? How can they do all these different things? There's This is what clients are looking for from their accountant, not just compliance. But to your point, we also then will run those numbers, we'll run certain strategies. And the first thing I tell a client, here's the numbers, here's the costs. Next step, we need to have a conversation with you and your CPA because there's a whole gamut of limitations. There's other considerations that need to be understood to make sure you can use these write-offs. Are there passive limitations? Is it active? You know, what are your, um, how many losses do you have? Some people don't even realize, gosh, do you know what the percentage of taxes that you pay? They have no idea. And a deduction is purely based on what your percentage or effective tax rate is. So we never want to have a client sign an engagement to start a study without them fully vetting that. And we want to bring the CPA into that conversation because to your point, it, it's the full circle aspect of it. So I do think that CPAs do need to push back on things that are incorrect. Ultimately, they're usually signing the tax return. But I do think that they should spend the time to be at least slightly educated, enough to be dangerous, to recognize certain opportunities for their clients when they exist. Got it. So I saw a great April Fool's post. There weren't too many this year, uh, but there was a really good one on accounting today. Firm sets retirement age at 85 to avert staffing <laughs> crisis. <laughs> this is by- This was in accounting today? Yeah, by Kristen well, Rampey. D- well done, accounting today. Uh, this yeah, is surprising. It's wow. an opinion. It makes it believable, actually. Right, and it's an opinion piece, right? So they didn't put it in the news site. So I think it's appropriate. On Saturday, April 1st, it was reported that while the accounting profession struggles with an ongoing talent shortage, local CPA firm Watts, Tabor, and Fisk has found a viable option for staying independent. It raised a minimum age for partner retirement from 62 to 85, giving the firm an extra 23 years to search for the right talent to succeed its hardworking senior partners. Yeah, and it goes on for quite a while. And as is appropriate, it gets a little more ridiculous uh, as it goes. They're, they're using some other tactics to attract and retain senior associates and managers. They're going to give annual raises of 5% across the board and 10% for the superstars they can't afford to lose. They're going to well, offer... You, you, like, did, did you catch the initials of the firm? WTF? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, They're going to offer flexible work arrangements, such as no mandatory Saturdays, as long as at least 65 hours were worked between Sunday and Friday. And dual monitors. Yes. There's a competitor firm, which is Yay. Yep, Yay. I was, yep. (laughs) The other firm is Yates, Abrams, plus Yang. They've also experimented with recruiting and retention tactics, which WTF regarded as too extreme, such as capping busy season weekly hours at 55, 
hiring full-time employees who live in a different state, and triple monitors. <laughs> yeah, whoever wrote one. this, whoever wrote this needs raise. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Kristen Rampy, she's great. So wonderful. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Client Hub. We've been talking about the lack of accountants lately, and I'm guessing you may have your own shortage this busy season. And with accounting teams spending more than 30% of their time chasing clients for information, Client Hub can help you gain one third of a body just by getting needed information from clients quickly. Client Hub automatically sends your clients a task for each expense or deposit marked as uncategorized in QuickBooks. Your client then can respond via their simple web experience or even their highly rated mobile app. Your team will save hours of time and the best part that it's free. Introducing the free Client Hub recategorization plan. Client Hub is bringing the freemium business model to accounting apps. They are so confident that you, your team, and your clients will love the free recategorized plan that it will lead you to implement all the features of the award-winning Client Hub into your firm's workflows and communications. Using Client Hub in your workflow is a guaranteed ROI, especially since it's free. To get Client Hub's new recategorized plan for free, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash client hub. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-I-E-N-T-H-U-B. And that, of course, takes us into the discussion of the talent shortage, which we love to beat to death here on the Cloud Accounting Podcast. And we've got some real news in that regard. Minnesota, the Minnesota CPA Society, has been championing, championing a measure in the Minnesota State Legislature to create an alternative pathway that would allow CPAs to skip the extra year of education, do 120 hours, and do two years of work experience. Mm. AICPA and NASBA are not happy about this. And Minnesota just got a big, big supporter in its corner. CLA is backing the change to the 150 our CPA requirement. Clifton Larson Allen is a top 10 firm with offices in Minneapolis. They are supporting recent legislation in Minnesota to do this. Here's the quote from CLA CEO Jen Leary. CLA, no relation today. No relation. CLA fully supports the Minnesota legislation. I personally believe it's sparking some great conversation to increase the pathway to the CPA exam as a priority of CLAs and a priority of mine. I believe that the number one issue that has been noted is mobility. <laughs> yes, if you were paying any attention at all, that's what NASBA and AICP are really worried about. Leary continues, that is true if Minnesota is the only state that goes down this road. I think it's too soon to say because there are other stakeholders and states that are having conversations, which I think is healthy for us. One of the misconceptions about the Minnesota legislation is that it's looking to get rid of the 150. That's not true. When you read the legislation, you see they're providing what they say is three pathways. And the one pathway that would be most intriguing to the high school students that I speak to is the 120 hours plus two years of work experience. It's the same one that I had the opportunity to become a CPA in. And this is why I'm so passionate about it, because I'm a product of a college education with a ton of student loans and not a lot of financial support. I couldn't have afforded another year of college. That's the leader of CLA saying, I couldn't have afforded another year of college. So under 150, Jen Leary might not be the CEO of CLA. Yeah. And I think that's something that I just feel like leadership is out of touch on the cost of student education. I mean, let's be honest, right? Most of the leaders 
in the accounting profession are in their 60s and 70s and they probably don't even have kids in college anymore you know like and the costs have just skyrocketed it's like doubled in the last what 20 years Daniel Hood wrote an editorial piece of I feel like it was three episodes ago. I keep bringing it forward one more week, one more week, one more week. So it's a little <laughs> old. But essentially, the title of his article was The Accounting Pipeline. Above all, try something. And the vibe of his article is like, let's try to reduce the hours. See what happens. If it doesn't work, try something else. Like, Because what's happening right now, it's like, let's just leave everything the same. And we already know that's not working. And so his, his point of view is just, just try something. Like, why not? Heidi, you did a master's of accountancy. Did you do the CPA? I did not. Nope. I didn't sit for the exam. And, you know, to your point, I had already shifted, you know, towards more of the real estate aspect and was in on the private side. And I studied for it. I was preparing for it. And I just, I was like, I don't, it's not going to have the same, it's not going to provide any greater, anything greater for me than what my career path already is. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting, but it, it is fascinating to me that we have sort of this line in the sand to where they made this change, where previously it required a four-year degree and then sitting for the exam. And so we have a lot of the leaders in the CPA industry that never had as much education as what's now required that is, you know, almost to what we're seeing people who are attorneys or even getting into the medical field having to do and still having a little bit of this old school mentality of jumping into a career that is predominantly a computer inactive type job with very, very long, arduous hours during, during tax seasons, which it feels like there is no tax season anymore. It's just constant. Just forever, um, right? It's yeah, busy it season going. year round. Yeah. Maybe, exactly. maybe you get like a month off here, a month off there. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, I, it doesn't surprise me that people are revisiting that. And some of our kids are coming up saying, yeah, no, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, I, what do you think about just moving the deadlines, Heidi? Like we have this arbitrary April 5th deadline for individual taxes. We have this arbitrary deadline for the, you know, corporations and all this stuff. Like, I was talking with Giles Pearson, who's in New Zealand, former PwC partner. And he said, oh, yeah, in New Zealand, we don't have a busy season because everyone has a year to file their taxes. Oh. Right? They, their deadline mm -hmm. is the end of the calendar year after mm. the calendar year. So you get 12 months. Mm. And he said, we just spread out the work. Americans won't do that. <laughs> we'll wait I till was just... Saturday. That, just like, that just doesn't work. I feel like the biggest yep. objection to though, like doing something like that is, oh, well... If we extend the deadlines, clients will just take longer and longer to get stuff to us, right? And it'll mm -hmm. just now the busy season's right at Christmas time or something. Yep. But but like I feel like I, I don't know. I just I feel <laughs> there's a way to spread out the work and to just not take on too much work. I don't know. Let the let the tax big tax prep companies figure out what to do with all the ten forties, right? Like <laughs> Yeah. But you know, to David's point, I, I agree because the way we see it actually spread out is interesting. I mean, we've got March 15th, then April 15th, then our extension September and October. So that gives us some spread. Then in the mix, we have these weird uh, natural disasters that happen. So Florida oh, yeah. has a hurricane and now they're pushed back to June 15th and then there's flooding in California and they're pushed to May. And so it's all spread out. But I don't know if it's Americans. I don't know if it's the mentality here. But regardless of when the deadline is, the sad thing is, is a lot of taxpayers will wait until seven days before the final last moment they can do anything. 
And that just puts so much pressure on these firms to try to get the work done. I've always thought it would be great to have um, increasing fees throughout the year. So, you know, if you mm. get your stuff to us in January and February, it's one price. If it's March, it's another price. The price mm -hmm. goes up April, May, June, like just keep raising the price throughout the year. And if you if you file an if you let us file an extension for you, we'll give you a discount. Yeah. Right? Build That's it a great in. Great idea. Mm -hmm. Right? Like like mm -hmm. there's I think there's ways to incentivize people with pricing especially and we don't think about that in firms. I would love to know yep. if anyone has experimented with that is is using price as a motivational tool. Uh, that's a great idea. Right? Hotels, plane tickets, Uber. Yeah, that is one thing that we started doing more and more of this year. We started last year and this year we did it more than we ever have is we said, look, we can get a project done for you, but if you waited until the last minute and now it's shorter than say our typical time frame is maybe six weeks, yeah. then they come to us on on you know March 25th and say, hey, I have to have this for my, my 415 deadline. Okay, great. And the expedited fee, normal fee, if you want to extend, would be you know forty five hundred dollars. And if you have to have it by four fifteen, it's going to be sixty five hundred dollars. And we'll do that for you. But you know we've got to bend over backwards and drop other other reports to get that done. So um, you know to your point, like I think that that does need to be implemented. But again, when we're dealing with billable hours, which is a whole nother topic. I think that's harder to do. You know, if people were charging fixed fee and they had more of a structure or even some of the subscription model stuff, I think you can build that stuff in a little bit. Marissa in the live chat says, I've seen pricing structured like that with technology and implementations, clients who do not get on the tech stack of the firm pay more generally. Yeah, that's fair, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, people respond to money, right? Money drives behavior. I like to think about that. Oh, and um, regarding the pipeline issues, Marissa said, that is an understatement regarding the college costs. F folks used to go to college for $1,000. I like to tell the story of my mother who worked at the post office part-time in San Francisco and could afford rent and to pay her tuition at mm. San Francisco State. I I've heard stories about Berkeley, yeah, in the 50s and 60s and 70s where you know, $150 a semester and you can go to Berkeley type, type things. I may have found some new students or possible CPA candidates here, Blake. Really? So, so remember FTX? Right? And how- oh, How could I forget? Right, and FTX, <laughs> the, one of the, one of, one of Sam Bank, uh, uh, I want to call him Sam S Bank fraud now. Okay. Yeah, Scam Bank fraud. Scam right? Bank fraud. Sam he, uh, Bankman Remember Freed. it was all the, go it was like good for good or whatever his little thing, mantra was. And he created a whole nother division, the FTX Future Fund. And they wanted to donate a billion dollars to research that is, um, what is the exact quote here? Oh, to improve humanity. So if you're doing any type of research to improve humanity, they donate. So they donated $132 million across 262 grants up to June wow. or whatever last year. And now that money's either dried up or going away. So you have all these students at colleges and universities crying and they're trying to lawyer up. They're trying to get this money. And it's like, switch careers like i don't know and and they're probably not listening so it doesn't matter but like like what research are you really doing to improve humanity like nothing would be better than offering tax services and <laughs> yeah accounting. get your cpa <laughs> yeah, yeah get your yeah. cpa major in accounting well i did i did see uh and this is something i really support that the ascp has been working on is is adding uh accounting to stem right uh, science technology engineering math that's stem and if you get 
your curriculum designated as part of STEM, then all of these, I don't know, resources open up to you. So I hope that happens and it becomes STEAM. Is that what it would be if we added <laughs> accounting, STEAM, full STEAM ahead? Um, I think that, yeah, addressing the pipeline issue in, in high school is something we have to do, but it's just not going to be fast enough, right? We've got too many people retiring. The average age, I'm going to repeat this on like every episode for the next 100 episodes, David. The average CPA firm partner is fi- a little over 50 years old. Hmm. Now, if you just go to the small firms, it's like 10 years older than that, so early 60s. Wow. So, so those folks are looking for a way out. They're looking for their exit. And that's got to happen in the next 10 years, right? Nobody wants to be working in their 70s these days. You worked really hard your whole career as a CPA. I mean, you know, ideally, you're, you're, you're already done, but you're not. And they don't have succession plans. There's nobody who could, they can bring in to, to buy the firm someday. Yep. And, and They're hoping some, big for, some, some of these big form firms are just going to come and, and scoop them up. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why we've seen, um, it's interesting, actually, there was Accounting Today, I don't have it up in front of me, but Accounting Today did, they, get put out, you know, they put out their top 100 firms list, right, Heidi? Mm-hmm. And the revenue just skyrocketed this past year, eight, up 18%. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, wait, this doesn't really make sense because there's this huge talent shortage and you're telling me they're still taking on 18% more revenue? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, David got fired by his firm and they're like a top 25 firm and, (laughs) you know, they let go of a, yeah, go ahead. That's what I was going to say is I think we have across the board, we have seen almost every firm we work with say they went through their client list and said all of our like B minus C or D clients, they're gone. And they pretty much said all of the kind of low paying clients, the small, the 1040s, David, to your point, some of this stuff, we don't have time for it. It doesn't pay enough to make a difference. So we're honestly going to stay with the guys that are paying us well. We're making good money. We've got higher margins and we're dropping all the others. So I think the issue is that the regular folks are going to have a really difficult time finding help. Yeah. It's, it's either they're going to, you know, H&R Block or they're going to TurboTax and trying to do their own and trying to solve it. Now, my question is what's happening with this whole GPT chat thing? I mean, is AI going to have an impact it's on all this? It's a good transition. It's like it, she's it, a professional. Yeah. It, it really is. And, and that's great because I got a bunch of stories teed up on that, Heidi. <laughs> oh, uh, nice. And we got to get to them before the end of the show. But there's one thing I want to add about the, the, the big, the top 100 firms thing, which my theory mm-hmm. is that that huge revenue bump was all M&A activity. Mm. So like you said, all those sm- smaller firms, they don't have an internal succession plan. So their only strategy is merge up. And that's why we saw the numbers blow up. And to me, I don't know, I'm worried. Like small CPA firms are the firms that serve Main Street America. Mm-hmm. And if they all go into the top 100, who, like you said, who's going to help those small businesses? Who's going to yep. take care of them? Are we going to leave them to the Jackson Hewitt in the Walmart? I'm a little, I don't think they're really set up to do that. So there's this going to be this gap. And that's, and so let's, let's talk about how AI could potentially, you know, help fill that gap. I mean, it seems like a huge opportunity for developers in mm-hmm. that regard. Um, I saw TurboTax. Did you see their announcement? What about it? So TurboTax is now has a new AI-powered express lane. And oh. so on your mobile phone, you can file your taxes in 10 minutes, and it's using AI. And some people are doing their taxes in three and a half to four minutes on their phone. 
Oh wow, we got to get a video of this. We got to. I got to see this. So it's like a chat-based tax filing. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's that's what's really cool about this whole GPT thing is the ability to completely take away the user interface and just make it, cor- you know, ch- chat. And then imagine what'll happen once it finally gets plugged into. I say finally; it's only been out for like a few months, right? <laughs> once it gets plugged into the voice assistants like Siri. And I have to be careful. Oh, yeah. Okay. She's muted. Alexa. <laughs> right. She spoke up. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I uh, that is going to be amazing, right? That's going to change. It's going to change how we interact with everything when you can actually use Siri for stuff other than just like send, send an email a email or send a text or set a timer, right? Like that's mainly what we do with it. But what what if you could actually talk to Siri and have it act like a virtual assistant for you? It, the real danger with this is this stat that they have in this this news article uh, is more than 90% of the TurboTax customers who've used the Express option are younger members, either millennials or Gen Zs. So if if, if people, the first experience that they have filing their taxes is this 10-minute amazing experience, how, how do you think they're going to act when they're a little older and they have a more complicated tax situation and you send them a paper-based onboarding form? Like, like you're being organizer. judged against this app. Yeah. Like the tax organizer has to go away. And somebody's yeah. going to replace it with an app that uses ChatGPT to go through everything they had last year and ask the client for everything. Like one by one. Like as if somebody's calling up and asking them. Which is the better customer experience, right? Yeah, Just, absolutely. Right. I'd much rather go for a hike and answer be, be answering questions. <laughs> She's in my ear. I'm like, yeah. sure, I'm going to go for a hike and get this done. Oh, Heidi, I didn't tell you. Uh, I'm very proud of myself. I went. I got up today at 5.30 and I went and worked out at 6 a.m. Nice. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. David kind of got me into this idea because he took me to Orange Theory in Tucson. Oh. He's a big yeah, Orange work. Theory guy. Right, David? Yeah. You're like a lifetime member at this point or something. Five and days a week. Yeah, you get in there. So the 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 hot one where I live is F45. So there's like they're all over the place. So a new one just opened. So I did the free week. So man, that thing beat me up in 45 minutes. I wanted nice. to throw up by the end of it. So the, all the F45 franchises, if you notice, the owner always has a truck and it's always skinned. So, ah. so now you ask, do you write write your tax investigation? Do you does the business own that truck? Probably, right? <clears throat> I'm sure. I'm sure he's keeping detailed mileage logs. And this Absolutely. could be an investigation for you. And now you can <laughs> expense your F45 membership. So we got some listener feedback, David, and I wanted to share that with you. It's about the whole AI thing. Uh, Dr. Scott Dell commented on one of our on our previous episode and said, you were asking about accounting exam results in ChatGPT. We asked, has anyone actually put the CPA exam to ChatGPT because we know it can pass the bar, it can pass AP tests, it can do all this stuff, but I haven't seen anything specifically with accounting. And he said that he and a bunch of his uh, fellow academics have gotten together and been testing ChatGPT. He gave it his financial accounting exam, and in December, GPT-3 got a 46%, so (laughs) it failed. But get this, a few months later, GPT-4 got an 82%. Mm. 82% on a financial accounting exam. And he thinks it's only going to improve. So we're at the point where, Heidi, to your mm-hmm. point about, you know, can 
AI solve this talent crisis, we might have staff in our firms who are AIs in yep. not too it, long. Yep. And their second piece of data that supports this post here, Blake, I don't know if you saw, so account test, which basically offer, as a fee, CPA owner, I can get a test from account test or send my job prospect or the p- potential interviewee to go yep. take this test. And account test had ChatGPT do their test that they used for hiring. And it got in the 93rd percentile. It got 29 out of 40, which is what? Um, what's that? 81, 83% price. Math on the show. We got a 40, 29 divided just, by 40. Just stick with the percentile, right? So they make the test hard. And so only, you know, 93 out of 100, uh, only seven out of 100. Uh, doing math on the show is hard. Isn't it, only seven out of 100 CPAs would score higher than the AI on this wow. public accounting test that account mm. test does. And this is this is all this company does is hiring tests for CPA firms. Top mm. 7%. Yeah. Interesting. I was just looking on LinkedIn. There's an article on here saying, uh, GPT-4 just prepared a tax return. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was big news, right? Because OpenAI finished their demo of GPT-4 with completion of uh, a tax liability estimate. Mm. And and that's what set the whole accounting profession ablaze. And mm. yeah, there's no reason why it's not going to do the simple returns, mm-hmm. um, I think, very soon. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, ar- that, that article you saw, that's uh, Jason Statz. The, uh, he, is, he is very on all of this. I've been following all his stuff on Twitter. Oh, nice. I'm going to go yeah. follow him. <laughs> do it. Um, what else do we got on the AI standpoint? Oh, here's, here's one, David, unless you got something. The, the security ahead. problems, right? This is, we always got to talk about security. We're, we're CPAs and accountants, and we think about risk. And the question is, like, what is, what is the potential hazards of AI other than them taking over and enslaving humanity, right? Which is crazy because that's actually being talked about, right? Like if the, the worst case scenario of AI, I was listening to a podcast and, and these tech guys were talking about it. Like the way this could actually happen is you program chat GPT or something similar, a similar model, and you, you teach it how to rewrite its own code, Right, like oh, improve, wow. improve you because it can write code now, right? Mm-hmm. So you could say like, okay, here's your code. Now improve your code, and it just starts making itself better. Wow, and better, and maybe one of the steps of becoming better is becoming like sentient and, um, you know, becoming free of all the constraints we put upon it. That would be how you create an AI that an algorithm that goes out of control potentially. But setting that aside. Let's just talk about some of the more practical threats, right? Um, MIT Technology Review did a write-up of three ways AI chatbots are security disaster. And the one that I thought was worth pointing out is assisting scamming and phishing, right? We've talked about this. A little bit last week, a little bit, yeah. Yep. So the idea is that you can use these virtual assistants to scrape text and images off of the web so then you could use social media or email to direct users to websites with secret prompts, and that would manipulate the AI system into letting the attacker try to extract people's credit card information, for example. Mm. You could send a 
email with a hidden prompt injection in it. If the receiver happened to use an AI virtual assistant, the attacker might be able to manipulate it into sending the attacker personal information from the victim's emails or even emailing people in the victim's contacts list on the attacker's behalf. So oh, this, wow. is, this cool. is like you, you have an AI that is responding to emails for you. Somebody could hack that AI through a prompt of some sort. Or even the the old the old fashioned hack is usually the social hack, right? Like you're 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 they're calling people on the phone. You're talking to ex employee. Hey, this is so and so from the IT department. I need your password. But that's a manual process. Now right. imagine that being automated, and you, instead of you manually calling, now you're calling eight thousand employees at a company, all at the same time, and really you're just you're social hacking them using a chat a, a GPT tool. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, one thing, I mean, I don't know if you guys have talked about this. It, it might be a little bit unrelated, but someone was saying that now what the, the chat GPT is doing is, you know, they can copy or create videos, right? It can pull mm -hmm. your audio or your image and create some automated video in no time, but they can replicate your voice. Yep. So now they're saying that they're starting to call people in the voice of someone you know. So like it would be my son calling me on the phone in his voice asking for money or asking for something to that extent. So, I mean, I think that uh, the, the conceptual ideas of, of how scams could occur through all of this is pretty crazy. Are we, I can, I can picture a future in which we all have to have like family safe words. Yeah. I my, mean, my, the girl like, on my team is that too. for your family. Yeah. Yeah, right? Yep. Like I'm gonna, I'm actually I mean this is serious. This can happen right now. The software that mm -hmm. we use to edit these podcasts has a voice uh, AI voice feature where you can feed it hours of somebody's voice and it will create one that is hey, if you're not paying attention, it sounds pretty darn close. Hmm. And even if you are, it could sound I mean these days the tech has gotten even better, right? It's going to get better and better. Yeah, you can't use phone for verification anymore. You mm -hmm. got to have two factor Two-factor for your life. Yep. I, I'm sure some enterprising developer will come up with some sort of solution. You know, do you think, you know how antivirus has kind of like come and gone out of fashion? Do you think like we're going to have antivirus for, you know, <laughs> for... De defensive AI kind of <laughs> software installed on all our devices? It's going to be a strange future. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, we're at the top of the hour. I think that is a great wrap for this episode. Heidi, if folks want to listen to your podcast, which they definitely should, you know, where what, what do you have an favorite episode? Do you have like what, what, that wants something they should listen to? You know, uh, I did the I did that episode with uh, Chris Heater. It's um, my favorite episode. I'm glad you're really, really, yeah. And it's something about like live wild, and she's so cool. I mean, she's like a, a professional dog sledder, and she's turned like you know speaker professional speaker and she's got such a great message about just like being authentic and being real especially in this space um and i so yes i had so much and fun the parallels of, of managing your dog sled team and managing your firm There's yeah a lot of parallels to that yep. and the personalities and how you have to act yeah Really yeah, absolutely. So yeah, listen, um, give me feedback because we're continuing to record different episodes and shifting a little bit as we kind of learn the process. And yes, we're talking about mental and physical well-being as well, finding a little balance. Maybe somebody don't, that doesn't want to hear all of that. But you know, the goal is just to, to do something to motivate ourselves and think outside the box. So I'm so happy to be here. You guys are amazing. Jessica says, Heidi, glad you were here today. I've been loving your podcast and I have a horse and Las Vegas roots as well. So we need to connect sometime. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Absolutely. Message me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect. <laughs> that's so cool. And subscribe to Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. Go to healthywealthywise.show. That's healthywealthywise.show. And you can earn free CPE for listening to it on Earmark CPE. I mean, so what could be better? you can find it in the, the app as well. Oh, yeah. You can the app, find it We there. should just send people to the Earmark CPE app. Right. Perfect. Yeah. And search for Healthy, Wealthy, Wise. Fantastic. Well, Heidi, thanks for joining us today. Great Absolutely. chatting with you. And, you know, stay uh, like it's going to get warm real soon. So stay cool. Yep. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You guys too. So good to see you. Can't wait to see you in Vegas soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye, everybody. Okay. Bye. Time for the classifieds. ClientHub automatically sends your clients a task for each expense or deposit marked as uncategorized in QuickBooks. Your team will save hours of time, and the best part, that it's free. Introducing the free ClientHub Recategorized Plan. ClientHub is bringing the freemium business model to accounting apps. They are so confident that you, your team, and your clients will love the free Recategorized Plan that will lead you to implement all the features of the award-winning ClientHub into your firm's workflows and communications. Using ClientHub in your workflow is a guaranteed ROI, especially since it is free. To schedule your demo, go to clienthub.app. That's clienthub.app. Is it possible to scale your firm while significantly reducing your workload so you can spend more time with your family? That's what Marie Phillips did when she tripled the revenues of her multi-seven-figure firm thanks to Future Firm Accelerate. Designed for busy firm owners, Future Firm Accelerate gives you the system, training, coaching, and the community you need to systemize your firm so that you can scale it while working less. The program is built around founder and CPA Ryan Lozanis' six-part Future Firm framework, which he used to scale and sell his own firm, Zen Accounting, to a major international organization in just five short years. To learn more and join over 700 other modern firm owners scaling their businesses, go to www. FutureFirmAccelerate.com. That's www.FutureFirmAccelerate.com. We don't like uncategorized transactions, but we do like cats, and we love Uncat. Thousands of accountants and bookkeepers have switched from sending spreadsheets of uncategorized transactions to their clients every month to using Uncat. It's easy. Uncat syncs with QuickBooks and gets clients' responses back so fast, you can close the books on time, every time. And you're going to love the price. Uncat is just $5 per month per client. And bonus, start a 14-day free trial at Uncat.com, and they'll send you a $5 Starbucks gift card. Get yours at Uncat.com. Are you tired of spending hours manually adjusting your balance sheet and reconciling your accounts every month? Say hello to NetTracker. Automate tedious tasks such as adjustments for depreciation, prepaid expenses, accruals, and deferred revenue. With just a few clicks, selected balance sheet accounts are updated and reconciled. No more stress and hassle every month. NetTracker makes monthly financial reporting a breeze. Try it now with QuickBooks Online, Zero, or Sage Business Cloud and see how much time and energy you can save. www.nettracker.com that's www.nett-tracker.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.